Lord, we invite your presence. We ask that you will be here to teach us, to lead us, to guide us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. And Lord, show us, Lord, that we will understand what it means to love you, to serve you, and also, Lord, to move in tandem with all that you are doing even in this time. And so be with me and be with my brothers and sisters, also those listening in. May we have a great time, Lord, learning and studying from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. Let's read the text, reading from verse 1 of chapter 9. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came into his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. If you look at this passage in Matthew 9, the parallel, you can find it in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and Luke chapter 5, 17 to 26. Tonight we're going to be talking about faith. And so, of course, the title, as you can see, is uh, Faith Facts. And we are very familiar with this one phrase, right? Seeing is believing. And yet sometimes, seeing can be the problem. Sometimes when we see things, we don't really believe it. Hence, we have the other phrase, I can't believe my eyes. So although we say seeing is believing, sometimes seeing is not exactly helpful. You can't believe what you see, or you can't believe what you hear. And so sometimes when people say something crazy, you say, I can't believe you said that. So the facts can be there. What is presented to you may be there, but if you don't apply faith to understand these facts, you can miss what would be the main thing that is there. So it's not what you see or what you hear. Whatever is presented clearly before you, you can still refuse to face the facts. And as we learn about facts here and about faith, in this whole passage, you will see that not everyone in the account believed. And it's not surprising. Jesus would say later on and describe the people of his day as having eyes and not seeing, having ears and not hearing. They actually professed a certain faith in God, and still they missed Jesus, the Messiah, and his kingdom. Now, we've got to be careful because we also can profess a certain faith and still be presented with the facts and still miss the things that are important for us. So let's learn a little bit about faith, some faith facts, as the title would suggest, some truth statements pertaining to faith. And we don't want to just go through another Bible study or message. We don't want just another miracle account. We want to wrestle with the text. We want to lay hold of the truth. We want to face the facts. We want to challenge even, and I challenge you, our prejudices, if any. Sometimes those are the things that would keep us from seeing something the way we should be seeing it. And my prayer is that our own faith would arise and respond rightly and accordingly. 
We've been going through Matthew chapter 8 and 9. So if you remember the overview, again, it's about Jesus' demonstration of His power and His authority. Listen to the past few messages. We've seen uh, Jesus' authority over sickness and disease, over natural elements, and in the last teaching, over the spiritual, the demonic realm. And so by now, this would have become obvious to the readers. So the question is, why another account? And we have discovered in our journey through this uh, expository teaching, you realize there's always something more that meets the eye, right? It's not just about a healing per se. It's not just about the storm per se. There's something that is hidden there, and we are wanting and hoping to uncover it. So in the case of the demoniacs, we see that Jesus encountered opposition from the people, but here in this case, Jesus would encounter opposition from the religious system. So let's join the story. Let's look at the text, and we'll go through part by part. And we see in verse 1, when Jesus got into a boat, he crossed over, he came back into his own city. And this sets the tone and the place where this entire account would have taken place. Where is his own city? His own city will be Capernaum. Uh, it's recorded also in Mark chapter 2. That would have been his base where he moved out of. And some might even say that it could be Peter's house because that was where he might have been staying and he also healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. So he gets back into Peter's house. So down in Capernaum, in this place, I want to show you some faith facts. We're going to go through seven points down here. So again, if you're taking notes, um, just take note of these statements and I hope that these truth statements about faith uh, will help us even in our own journey and our own understanding. This story is very familiar. Paralyzed guy. Friends bring this guy. Matthew doesn't record it, but Mark does. They bring him up onto the rooftop, lower him in. Jesus says something. Scribes get crazy about whatever he has said. Jesus performs a miracle, and the crowd sort of marvels at it. So let's go on. Faith fact number one. Someone else's faith is still faith. That's the truth. Sometimes we think, you know, if we don't have faith, and that's going to be a big problem, and someone else's faith is someone else's faith that doesn't belong to us. Let's explore this one point. Let me unpack this for you. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. Behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now, this is not the first mention of a paralytic. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, Matthew already broadly recorded that paralytics were brought to Jesus and he healed them. This is not the first mention. Matthew chapter 8, verse 6, the centurion's servant was a paralytic. My servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. So this is not a big deal that he's a paralytic. We already know that Jesus heals paralytic. Not the first mention. But that said, it's very possible that he's the very first paralytic to come through the roof, to be delivered by airmail. If you're a Mac user, that would have been the first airdrop. Mark chapter 2, verse 3. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when he had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. You've got to imagine this scene, right? Crowded, everyone is jostling for Jesus, the whole place is packed out. And here comes four guys with his friend on a stretcher type uh, bed or mat cannot get in, 
and they climb up the side staircase. The houses there, right, they have a side staircase that bring them up to a flat rooftop. Now, did they really break through the entire roof or was there something like a leaves and sort of like covering, uh, a, like a thatch roof thing? How did they open? We're not exactly clear. It doesn't say that. But these guys were at least diligent enough um, to do what was necessary to bring this guy to Jesus. But I say thank God for the faith of friends. Thank God for the faith of friends. This may not have been the faith of the paralytic. But this was the faith of four friends. If you look at this whole account, his four friends believed enough. And not only that, they cared enough. They were determined enough to get this man to Jesus, even if it meant cutting the queue. That was their faith, the faith of their friends. And someone else's faith is still faith. And if you would just consider this just for a moment, would you agree that usually it is easier to believe for someone else than yourself? When you're going through a problem yourself, you can't see um, the wood from the trees, you, you can't make sense why. Emotionally, you are involved, you're stressed, you got, you know, you're, you're considering all these things, it's too close to you, and you're staring at the facts, and somehow your faith may not come through at that point. But when someone shares a similar situation somewhere else, it's very easy. Oh, you trust God? Don't worry, God said this. You know, sometimes and often enough, it is easier to believe for someone else than yourself. And perhaps it's even easier if it's someone you don't know. Sometimes you know the person also very difficult. Because you know the person's demeanor, the person's background. It's very hard to trust God even for something like that. I don't know what the relationship is. They must have been good friends. They must have, must have seen this guy bedridden for a long time and they hear about Jesus and these four friends. Thank God for the faith of friends. And never understand, underestimate this because here comes a question. Have you been the beneficiary of someone else's faith in your time? Think back. Has someone else's faith blessed you? Someone might have invited you Someone might, might have brought you, prayed for you, where previously the person's faith might have uh, paid for you, believed enough to just sow into your life, uh, did something for you. This person's faith pointed you to Jesus. This person's faith believed enough, the signs of the times, to awaken you, to, to help you get on an alignment and even encourage you in your assignment. Have you been the beneficiary of someone else's faith? And I believe the answer would be yes. It would be yes. We did not come into the kingdom just by ourselves. And maybe you did. But I can tell you that there are many, many people who believed and they might have prayed for you. And you, you may not even have known about it. But this person believed enough to say, Lord, I don't understand how things are going to work. But I believe enough that if I pray, you will answer. See, we've all been a beneficiary of someone else's faith. And even if you are back in, on track, attending church, serving the Lord, we all still need the faith of friends. And today I will qualify it, not just Christians. I would look for even more. I would look for someone who would be kingdom-minded, who would understand the things of the kingdom, because they will move with a different tenacity and with a different conviction. 
I will look for brothers and sisters in Christ who gather not just for fellowship, but they gather really for the right reason. You know, Paul says in Philippians, there's one phrase that I'll never forget. He says, I give thanks for you always, right? Daily I mention you in my prayers because you shared with me in the fellowship of the gospel. It wasn't just fellowship. You know, Christian terms, huh? we fellowship, fellowship. Every time talk fellowship, it means we sit down and have a meal, which is a nice thing. But what you talk in the meal and in your cell group shows a lot of what you are fellowshipping around. Paul says, I want to have people who fellowship with me and share with me in the gospel of the kingdom. The word fellowship just means koinonia. It means a sharing. It means a partnership, a partaking of. Can you see how different it is? You don't just partake of my nice durian, which I understand this season is very cheap. <laughs> you don't just partake of the, of the food, which is okay. We are sharing in the assignment, in the mission of the kingdom of God. And the truth is, if you are on assignment, and now you don't even have to be on assignment, you just think about this. Your Christian walk, there are some days you will be high, and there are some days you will be down. And when you're high, praise the Lord. But when you're down, you need kingdom-minded friends. You need the faith of friends. You need someone to believe in the Lord and believe in you enough to say, I'm standing with you. I'm praying with you. I'm praying for you. I'm believing together with you. And we're going to get through this. Someone else's faith is still faith. And I say get to know as many brothers and sisters of the kingdom. Get to know as many people who are on assignment. It makes a lot of difference. Because, you know, when two people or three people on assignment get together and we are so down, we are sharing our stories, uh, the most beautiful thing is that we realize that we all face the same problems. We all face the same discouragements, you know. And in the end, we find that we are encouraging each other in our faith journeys. What you don't want are Christians who are the what I call the super spiritual types, and sometimes that can fringe on a little bit flaky. And these are the people where whatever you say, they will throw one Bible verse and all, but you don't know where they're coming from. We don't need Christian slogans, you understand? We need someone who really believes, stands with you, and journeys together with you. And so friends, I want to say this to you tonight. If your faith is wavering, or if you find that you're saying, look, my faith is not strong enough, my faith is weak, can I say to you, it's okay to hang on to someone else's faith for that season. If you're there, like, if that's you, okay, if I'm describing you, it's okay to hang on to someone else's faith because his or her faith is still faith. But as you do that, observe. As you do that, learn. What makes this guy or this person tick? All right, why is his or her faith um, so solid or so uh, unwavering? Observe and learn. And, and pray that as you hang on, as you're watching, and as you're just moving on in your own journey, personally, that you will experience God's faithfulness for yourself. Because when you experience God's faithfulness, that's when your faith begins to grow. And that's where you become stronger. So it's okay that we have all and we will continue to be beneficiaries of someone else's faith. And as you grow, then as you move on in your own faith journey, would you be that friend? Next, would you be that friend that lends your faith for the sake of someone else? Would you be that? Because there are many people who need to hang on to your faith. 
As much as you need sometimes to hold on to someone else's, someone needs to hang on to your faith. You see, the faith of the paralytic was not mentioned at all. We don't know. We don't know whether he was uh, someone who was like, wow, yeah, man, this is it. I believe in God. I don't know. It's not recorded at all. We are just told that the friends brought him. And I know that there are many who have no strength. Just within themselves, they can't find that ability to get to Jesus. I know this is a physical story. This is a real story. Physically, he was, he was crippled. He was paralyzed. He could not get to Jesus by himself. But I also know emotionally, spiritually, there are so many people who are like that. And they need you. They need your faith. They need to lean on your faith. They need to hang on to your faith. And for some, as much as they would like to be, they can be analyzing, and you have heard this, right? Where we analyze until we are paralyzed. And there are many people who are spiritually paralyzed, and it's not that they don't know, you know. Sometimes the problem is that they know too much. And the more they know, the more it trips them. Would you be that friend to lend your faith for them? And I know I've been guilty of this many times that perhaps I, I may know a certain person, a person may be too close, and especially if it's a relative, it's difficult. You begin to rationalize, to say, I, I believe, lah, you know, but, but he or she cannot one. Lah. We will say, oh, no matter what I say, huh, they will throw away all the whatever. It, it just won't work. And so you begin to rationalize your faith to think that this person, because they have no faith, they will never believe. I don't think that the Lord asks us to do that. Someone else's faith, your faith today can be a blessing for someone else who needs to get to Jesus. And so this is faith fact number one. Someone else's faith is still faith. Faith fact number two. From this account, we see that faith can be seen. Sometimes we look at faith and we describe faith and we say, oh, it's something that you believe. It, we consider it something very personal and very private. But here we see faith described as something that is external and visible. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, we were reading. The four guys brought the paralytic on the bed when Jesus saw their faith. That's, those are the words. Jesus saw their faith. What exactly did Jesus see? Did Jesus see them dressing as uh, Christians? <laughs> uh, did they wear a cross around their neck? Was it, was it that that determined their faith? I don't think so, right? Sometimes we, we look at a certain person and we begin to stereotype and say, well, this doesn't look like Christian. This one don't look like Christian. And we begin to see and judge someone's faith or belief system or where they are based on what we see. The Bible doesn't describe that here. These were like complete strangers. They, they looked like anyone else. Who knows? Maybe they walked in as they were lowering and all their arms, wow, all bare arms, all got tattoos. You won't know, right? But is that a possibility? Very much so, right? They could have that. Maybe they would have some earrings or some nose rings. I don't know. I don't think Jesus saw those things as an indication of their faith. What Jesus saw was this. Jesus saw how these guys loved their friends. How these guys cared for their friends. And how these guys did everything they could to bring him to Jesus. And it wasn't just a statement for them to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I, yeah, I, I believe Jesus can heal. No, it was, I believe, and I'm going to get you to Jesus because I really believe. Their actions begin to describe or to demonstrate and to show up the faith. 
faith can be seen. And the point we want to get from this is that when we say faith, and I have a line, I say faith is a verb. Faith is a verb. It's, it's not passive. It's active. Something has to show up from our faith if we say we believe. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, the very famous passage about faith. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, um, Isaac did this. By faith, Joseph did this. By faith, Moses did this. It was always what they believed to be true, they acted on it. And you will see their faith through their lives and through their actions. So it's not just about a statement where you say, I believe in this. Where nowadays, if you go to websites or you know, churches and ministry, they have a statement of faith or statements of belief. We believe this, we believe that. I mean, you can quote it and you can memorize it. If you don't live that out, I can't see faith. I can hear what you say, right? You can profess it, you can confess it all you want, you can sing it as loud as you want, but if your life doesn't show it, if your, the acts that you perform do not show it, if the words that come out after that, the, the decisions that you make do not show it, I can't see the faith. I see something then that would be theoretical. I, only, I would only understand and see your faith if you live out what you claim you believe. Faith can be seen. My question is, how visible is your faith and my faith to others? Can others see our faith? Or do they hear us and see us go to church, but other than that, they see something else? Jesus saw their faith. Faith is visible. Faith can be seen. And this is challenging for us as I consider this. See, we can say, I believe God will provide. But how I live my life after that may very clearly indicate to see what my faith might look like. I can declare and I say, I have peace like a river. But if you look at me, I'm running around like a chicken without head. I don't have peace like a river, you see. So it's not what you say, it's not what you chant, you know. And sometimes we, today we make Christians like some superstitious thing. Say, if I declare this 300 times, I will have peace like a river. It doesn't work that way, amen? You may say, um, God is in control. And then again, all the problems and you know, you're, you're moving all over the place. If I say, I believe in Jesus and you know, I love because God first loved me and God says, we will love one another. And in the church, we are killing one another, we are fighting with each other. We are... And so our faith can be seen. Do you know sometimes we can't see it, but others can? The world looks in and looks at the church and says, this is what I'm seeing, by the way. And it's not a pretty picture. We declare the kingdom of God is this and that. But the world looks in and says, well, this kind of kingdom, uh, thank you. I, I don't want to be a part of this kingdom. Faith can be seen. If we say, oh, I believe Jesus has forgiven me. Really? If you really believe that, then out of that, I forgive others. And then we, when we see a friend, we turn away. Okay, no more friend, enemy. Oh, we turn away. We don't want to sit at the same table. We don't want to talk anymore. I block you from my Facebook. See, faith can be seen. And you know why we don't see it? Because we all have blind spots, you see. 
That's why we need people to tell us and to journey with us and to help us understand. Faith is visible. This is a faith fact. This is a truth statement. And we have to ask, how visible is our faith to others? Faith fact number three. Faith comes with surprises. Get ready to be surprised. You want to live by faith or live by the faith that we profess or confess, we will be surprised by God. And as I look at this, it's interesting. I find quite a few surprises. The guys bring Jesus, this paralytic. Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, let me share with you. Faith can surprise us with the unexpected. What we believe versus what we finally will get. That will be a surprise. You can believe all you want, but God can choose to give whatever He wants to you. Faith can be what I want versus what I need. What we come to God for versus what we finally receive from Him. You can claim all you want. Finally, if you say, I believe, then it is what God gives to us. Faith will also challenge us. What's our perspective and our expectation versus God's perspective and His revelation? What's our timing versus God's timing? Can it surprise you? Yeah. You can declare all you want, and you may not get it at the time that you want it. God can surprise you. Or you can think that it might not come, and then suddenly it comes. See, faith comes with surprises, and you must be prepared for that. Our prayers versus God's purposes. Does this surprise you even in the first place? Because we have been told that if we believe what we pray for, we will get it. But if you look at this, the exercising of the faith was a surprise. The results were surprising. And if you define faith, it's to believe God regardless. It means I trust you, Lord. Whatever you say, if it says it's going to go, fine, it's going to go. But if not, I still believe you. I still trust you. So faith can bring surprises, not all the time, but we can have surprises along the way. Let me illustrate to you from this passage. If you look at a sick person in the time of Jesus, the Jews would look at this person and say, well, there's sin in this person's life. Sin and sickness will be put together. You can almost assume that when the, the paralytic was brought in, many would have been thinking, you deserve to be paralyzed. You deserve to be condemned. And somehow you cut cue. You break the roof, you come in. If you were there, what would have been your response? Imagine, right? Put yourself in that situation. If you were trying to get to Jesus and you have a condition yourself and this guy cuts cue, comes all the way in, you'll be quite upset, right? You'll be asking, where are the ushers? How come this event is so badly organized? Correct? Jesus' response was a surprise. There was no condemnation. There was no rejection. All he displayed was love, grace, acceptance, and encouragement. And if you understand the culture and the background already, imagine the shame and the pain and the discomfort of the paralytic. And yet, the first thing that Jesus says to him is not, can you please line up, huh? Uh, what's your cue number? Huh? Oh, can it be like this, huh? He doesn't say all that, right? The first word that we read is what? Son. Would this guy have been rejected by family? Possibly. Where his all relationships, nobody wants to have anything to do with him. And Jesus says, my child, son, 
What a term of affection. And he says, be of good cheer. He says, hello, I'm paralyzed. How to cheer? And all Jesus does is just to say to this person, I, I accept you. How comforting, how assuring, how accepting these words would have been to him. Just to hear that first. Surprise number one. Surprise number two. No physical healing first. Huh? Your sins are forgiven. Hello? Right? First he hears those words. Yeah, thank you very much. And then, your sins are forgiven. The friends and the paralytic would have come to Jesus for what? Physical healing. Jesus surprises everyone by declaring forgiveness. And it's beautiful to understand that we may come for something that we think we need, but Jesus will give us what is important. That's faith, right? If you believe Him, you can ask for all you want, but finally you say, Lord, what is needful? What is important for me? And by declaring forgiveness, let it be said that Jesus was not really associating sickness and sin for this. But here, Matthew is recording this so that we know Jesus was getting straight to the root of the problem, not necessarily a personal one. But you know, because of sin, corporately, all of us are sick and decaying and dying. So Jesus is not going for the physical healing first. He goes for the spiritual healing. Because he was making a very, very bold statement. Surprise number two. You come for physical healing, suddenly you get pronounced forgiveness. Surprise number three. Do you realize there was no repentance before this forgiveness? I'm not sure if this man had faith or not. We don't even read of his repentance of sin. Jesus just looks at him and says, you're forgiven. Grace is just extended just like that to anyone who in need of healing and of salvation. Does this surprise you? Does this rock your theology? Right? Yeah, today we'll tell people, you cannot be forgiven, you must repent first. No. This guy couldn't do anything. Jesus forgives first. How do, you, how do you understand something like that? I know our, our minds might be clicking all the way through on this. Next surprise. Jesus has the power to forgive. And the tense here is important to notice. Jesus didn't say your sins will be forgiven later on. No. Jesus didn't say your sins have been forgiven. That means already done. So it separates that forgiveness with the act that is here. He actually said your sins are forgiven right now. Right this very moment. The moment I declare it, it's done. Now that was a very surprising statement for the people. They have never heard someone say something like that before. And Matthew's main point here is this. We have seen Jesus declaring authority over sickness, over disease, over natural elements, over spiritual realm. Now Jesus has all power and authority over sin. This is Matthew's main point. And it was surprising to the people there. The scribes were definitely surprised. They were totally upset and offended. And that caused them to oppose. Brings us to fact number four. Faith can attract opposition. Matthew chapter 9, verse 3. At once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. You know who the scribes are. These are your teachers. These are the experts of the law. They had their theology all well pet down. Okay, everything is all there. You know? They know exactly what they should say, what's not to say, what's correct or what's not correct. At least that's what they thought. 
And that's why when Jesus immediately says, your sins are forgiven, at once, some of the scribes say within themselves, this man blasphemes. And that phrase to say within themselves, it can mean they immediately all had the same thought, all graduate from the same Bible school. So the moment that line came out, all of them looked at each other, it was like, hmm. And they don't have to say anything, right? They know what each of them would have been thinking. It could mean that. It could also mean they muttered among themselves. All right? These are the two possibilities. And the word at once, it's not just at once. It, was, it is a, it's a calling to attention. It's like, hello! It's a law and a behold. Your sins are forgiven. Ayo! Literally like that. Okay? It's like, it's up in arms. You see, uh, how can like that? That's the kind of expression, that's what it means. And so here, the faith of Jesus, the faith declaration, would attract an opposition of sorts. And what is this about? What is Jesus saying? What's he claiming? This is ridiculous. This is blasphemous. Now, why was it blasphemous to them? Why was it so offensive? In Mark chapter 2, verse 7, Mark records a line that explains to us why they were so upset. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, the statement was offensive because Jesus, in declaring it, was making a very strong statement. Either I am God or I'm speaking on behalf of God or I have the authority from God. Now, scribes were really unhappy. It was not just the ayo, you see lah, how you like that, you know. The word, this man, can be translated or seen as this, this, this fellow, this guy, you know. Whoa, this guy, you know, is totally rude, very derogatory. It's like, who is this guy? He blasphemes. He's hurting the reputation of God. He's slandering in this case, he's taking the name of God in vain. Now, if you understand the stripes, they were doing what they knew. As much as they, they understood it and they responded that way, in a way you, you couldn't really hold it against them. They were holding something very, very preciously. Only God forgives sin. And who is this guy to declare so presumptuously and openly the forgiveness of sins? Two cautions I want to give to us as we look at this, that faith can attract opposition. The first caution is this. When we profess to speak for God or to speak about God, we want to be responsible and we want to be accurate. But be careful. Our faith declarations and our faith statements may not always meet with approval or acceptance. That's the first caution. You've got to know this. But be responsible. Be as accurate as you can be to learn and to be sound in your theology and in your interpretation, right? And as you're convicted, and that's what your faith says, as you share it, it may not always meet with approval or acceptance. And you must get ready. Be ready for some opposition and for some challenge. And if the Lord has shown a revelation, a new move with the times, what we see from here is that it is usually the people of the institution that would oppose you. Where they are used to a certain 
understanding, a certain look, a certain pattern, and then you're breaking out of that. Because you say, this is what the Lord is saying, this is what new move is all about. You get ready for opposition. You must get ready for opposition. But let me say again, be responsible, do your study, huh? and, and be as accurate as you possibly can, so help us God. That's caution number one, get ready for it. Caution number two is that be careful that you are not the one opposing something just because it doesn't sit well with you and with your traditions. Right? You can be on either one of the spectrums, right? You can be the one being opposed or you can be the one opposing. And let me not point a finger at the scribes. They are teachers. They're supposed to be experts of the law. Yours truly is teaching and I'm wanting to be as accurate as I can with the Bible, right? And so there are times when things are presented to me and I, I'm cautious, my guard goes up. I'm trying to be as careful as I can, right? And it's all with good intentions and all we are wanting to be as accurate as we possibly can be. So you must be careful, you must guard against immediately retaliating and in case you have not even considered it carefully first. Why? Um, theological, doctrinal, denominational differences, all these can divide. But God really is much bigger than our theological challenges and our traditional views. I'm learning that over and over again. You be careful that you do not become like the, the scribes or the Pharisees, that you hold to something so dearly, but you, know, you don't live that out, but you're just trying to be careful in those things and end up being a hypocrite or stumbling someone else. My caution for myself and for yourself would be, don't be too quick to judge or to condemn. Don't be too quick. And when I say judge, we've done a teaching on judging. I'm not saying do not evaluate. Evaluate it. But when we say judge, it tends to have a very critical spirit that is inside there, right? And a tendency to condemn and to throw this person out almost immediately. Learn how to consider it carefully. Learn how to discern what God is saying and what He's doing. Do due diligence. Go back, search the Scriptures. Seek counsel and guidance. Talk to someone else so that we can all process this. What if God is really doing a new thing? Jesus came in with a new movement, as it were, and the establishment and the institution missed the entire thing. So faith can attract opposition. Just be careful which side you're on. Don't commit the same mistakes. Faith fact number five. If there's opposition, faith rises to meet that challenge. Matthew chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. We don't respond to challenges to pick a fight for the sake of responding to challenges. I don't think Jesus was doing that. But where Jesus was concerned, His identity was being challenged. His authority was being challenged. His assignment was being challenged. And we see it from the passage, the first thing. Number one, Jesus knowing their thoughts. Jesus knew their thoughts. Immediately, He could pick it up. Why do you think evil in your heart? Now again, to the Jews, only God knows the thoughts of men. And so there they are accusing him. Hello, how can you say you forgive sins? Only God does that. 
immediately he stands up and he goes, hello, I know exactly what you're thinking. In other words, hi, God knows, I know, I am God. So the first thing he does, he rises up to the challenge and he says, I know what's exactly in there. So he's either God or he's a great prophet because God, if he does not reveal it, then he will reveal it to his prophets. The first thing. Secondly, I love the way he answers. But that you may know that the Son of Man, and you notice he uses this, I think specifically on the scribes. The scribes know who the Son of Man is or should be. They know their Bible. They know the Hebrew Scriptures. They know Daniel chapter 7. That the Son of Man himself comes in as God. He's eternal and He will reign in this kingdom. So Jesus again appeals to His messianic title. Once again, Matthew's intent and Jesus' intent, Christological, the identity of Jesus. And so if Jesus is being challenged, He states it. That the Son of Man has power on earth. And possibly Matthew could have been using this one phrase that later on will set Him up where he not just have power on earth, but he will have all power and all authority to give to everyone on earth and in all of heaven. All power and all authority. So faith rises to the challenge. And finally, the, the, the big point, to forgive sins. Jesus asked, which is easier? To say to forgive sins or to say, arise and walk? Which do you think will be easier? Of course, to make a statement is easier, right? To actually heal a person would be the more difficult if you were down there. Why is that so? Because if you say, I forgive your sins, you can't prove why, whether forgive or never forgive. You just make a statement, it's so easy. But to say, arise and walk, and to have a healing, that healing can be verified. And this is a semantic argument where they argue from the lesser to the greater. Which is easier or which is more difficult? This is the way that they would uh, present their arguments. In other words, if you say this is easier, and if this is harder, then I tell you what, if I show you the harder, it means I can do the easier. So Jesus says, which one is easier? If you say the statement is easier, I tell you what, I will show you the healing. And if you see the healing, then don't argue with me. eh? The forgiveness is a done deal. Put another way, If God would authorize Jesus visibly to heal the effects of humanity's fallenness, would He not send Him to combat that fallenness itself, which is sin? So again, there's a relation between sin and sickness. And I don't know if Jesus was just pushing that challenge all the way to the end, because He says, which is more difficult, right? To say this or to say, arise and walk. Then he says that I show you that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the paralytic. He didn't say, arise and walk. You know, walk still not enough. You know. Arise, take up your bed and go home. Because you can walk two steps and you fall down. Right? Huh? And it's almost like, let me just push it to the extreme. Now, you want me to show you? I will show you. This is the faith that rises to the challenge. So the guy gets up immediately, has strength to carry his mat and his bed, and he walks all the way home. I look at this and I say, only Jesus. (laughs) But the thing is, would you and I be put in situations like this? I'm not sure, you know. Would we go through something like that? 
once again, is not to be challenging or to fight for the sake of fighting. I think we need to exercise wisdom, discernment, allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. But how do we apply something like this? Let's apply the principle, which is easier. Because sometimes people can challenge us. Which is easier? Is it easier to declare ourselves as Christians or is it easier to live as Christians? Obviously, it's easier to declare I'm a Christian. But to live as Christians would be more difficult, right? But if I live as a Christian, which is more difficult, would you believe I am one? So if we apply this argument in the same way, if people are challenging us, again, this is related to the, to the faith being visible. You can say all you want, but how are you living it out? To say it is easy. Everyone knows talk is cheap, right? And then sometimes they talk of Christians like NATO, eh? no action, talk only. We can say all you want, we can confess and profess again, you can claim everything, but you can't verify that, you see. But which is more difficult? If you live out the more difficult, then what is the easier is proven immediately. And faith enables us to do that. And sometimes when a challenge comes, the more we, we, we learn to trust God even more, to rise above all that comes towards us or against us. Faith fact number six, Matthew chapter 9, verse 8. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God. Point number six, faith brings glory to God. Hallelujah. See, our faith in God, when it's visibly seen and expressed through our lives and our obedience, brings glory to God. Well, at least in the Jewish context, immediately they would know, you know, because they are a monotheistic faith, they will give glory to God. This is God. It may not be so apparent for us today because our context is largely secular. And so your faith, as you live in a certain way, some people may look at it and tell you, oh, good luck, or good fortune, they won't give glory to God. But it makes no matter to us, right? Our part is still to live out our faith, whether others are willing to face the facts or not, whether to acknowledge this is God or not. Sometimes you can share all your testimonies, huh? and they'll say, wow, you're very lucky. Lah. They just refuse to accept that this is God. It's just a nice turn of event. Huh? It's just coincidence. Huh? And they will not acknowledge that it is God. You see, they will not add faith to the facts in that sense. Huh? They will see the facts, and they will not acknowledge that it is God. But we know it brings glory to God because faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And so when we believe and trust in God, it brings Him pleasure. And I want you to imagine as parents, isn't it true? When you say something to your children, when you share something with your children, would you like them to take your advice? Would you like them to believe you that what you say is true? It is one. They may not understand it, but you said, if daddy, you say it, okay, la, then if it's good for you, then it's good for me. La. It would bring you pleasure, isn't it? What you don't want is someone, a child, a son or a daughter is like, really? Huh? Uh, you better show me, you know. Where does it say? Hmm? And then, give me all, give me 10 good reasons. Then, sure, you, know, you, you want to teach them, you want to explain to them, but it's not always like that. Right? But when you believe me and when you trust me and you act on my word, it brings apparent pleasure. How much more God? 
And understand that our faith is not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. At the end of the day, we can't boast. At the end of the day, it's all, it's all God. Our part is only to, to believe and to move on that faith. You know that old song, right? trust and obey, for there's no other way. That, this is it. You just trust and you just obey. And in the end, you can't claim anything. God receives all the glory. I know sometimes it's tempting when someone tells you, oh, your, your faith is so strong. <laughs> yeah, la, I'm so good. <laughs> but really, you know, it's very tempting. But at the end, God receives all the glory. Amen? Because your faith, I've said it so many times, your great faith is useless if you don't have a great God. At the end, it is still God. Faith brings glory to God. And the people saw this and they marveled and they glorified God. Praise the Lord. Faith fact number seven, our last point. And when they marveled and they glorified God, they acknowledged God had given such power to men. Point number seven, faith is given to all. I know the word here says power is given to men. But let me make the connection for you. Note that the word men is not singular, it's plural. There can be a couple of interpretations down here. The first interpretation could be the multitudes may have considered Jesus as one of the prophets. They would have known the Old Testament. They would have known Elijah, Elisha, and these were men who also performed miracles by the power of God. And Jesus comes onto the scene and He performs these miracles and they give God the glory. They may not have fully embraced the fact that He is the Messiah yet possible. That's one way to understand this. He's one of the great prophets. Remember Jesus asked the disciples who the men say that the Son of Man is. And they said that, oh, you're Elijah, you're John the Baptist, you're the great prophet. So they may have considered Him as such. That's one way. Another interpretation that Matthew might be pointing forward to the delegation of, of authority to the disciples of Jesus. Because very soon, by the end of this chapter, chapter 10, when we finally get to it, Jesus calls His disciples, gives them authority to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to raise the dead. Everything that He did, He gave to them. So Matthew could have been just setting something up for his next point. But we draw something from this, that as they believe in Jesus and as they moved out, by that faith, the power moved. You and I are believers of Jesus Christ. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are given that same authority. Paul then says later on that to each has been given also a measure of faith. Amen? And so we all have been given faith. Faith is given to all, and if we would move on that, Faith then unleashes the power of God. It's given to all men, and it includes you, it includes me. And in one part it says, Paul says, it is a measure of faith that's been given to us. In another epistle, he says that it's a measure of grace. And it's to remind us, you see, that the measure of faith given to us is always by that measure of grace to remind us that it's not I have such great faith. Whatever I have is all by His grace. And in the end, God gets all the glory once more. And so these are some faith facts that I thought would be helpful for us. It's a short passage and some gleanings from that, but we have learned quite a lot about faith. 
question to ask ourselves as we conclude and as we close. Where are you in your own walk of faith? Which do you identify with most as you look at this passage? Bring it and make it personal. Do you find yourself in the position of the friends where people are leaning on your faith, right? You're helping someone to make this journey and to get them more and more to the king and his kingdom. Are you the man <laughs> where you're just paralyzed with your situation, yourself, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually, and you need someone to help you? It's okay. Someone else's faith is still faith. If you were the disciples watching, you know, would you have asked those questions they're asking, right? You know, what would we do? Someone comes in, someone breaks the queue, someone comes in with a tattoo, comes with a nose ring. Uh, would you be surprised with the way Jesus would have acted? What if you would be one of the scribes? Would your faith be like one of those scribes where you believe, but there's a, there's a certain box that you operate in, and you know, Jesus, you cannot step out of this box. What's your faith fact for yourself? And as we close, let me encourage you. I don't know where you are. I don't know what your situation is, but whatever has taken place in your life, as you look back, these are incidents, these are points. The, the realities are there. The facts are there for you to face. But you see, our walk of faith requires for us to add faith to these facts. And when you face the facts, as you, as you faith these facts, so to speak, you add a new dimension. You, you see it with a different perspective. And you begin to see the goodness and the faithfulness of God through each and every season. And I challenge you, don't only look at the good parts and say, oh, God is so faithful. I also challenge you that even if you look at the bad things, the mistakes that you have gone through, that you have committed either ignorance or out of disobedience or rebellion, if you add faith to that fact and to that event, you will see God's providential grace and hand even on that. If you would faith that fact, God can redeem it for you. As you move on in your journey in wanting to seek Him, to love Him, to know Him and also to serve Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You once more for Scripture. Each time we get into the Word, it's not just a story. There are just so many details that are in there that if we would mine for gold, you said your word would be more precious than, than these precious stones, than gold or silver. Lord, I pray that these little nuggets that have been surfaced for us this evening would encourage someone, would help us to add faith to the facts, not just to face up to what is there, but you know, to see it through eyes of faith, to know that you are there with us. You will journey with us. And Lord, may our faith grow and expand as you show us Jesus and the things of His kingdom. Lord, we say forgive us if we have boxed you in. Lord, forgive us if we, you know, if we see those things and we just refuse to believe it. Lord, forgive us even sometimes where we bring our own expectations and expect you to just function in those ways. And we say we pray that way, we must receive it that way. Lord, you are God and you can do anything you want. We believe you and we know it will always be for the better of our journey with you. And so I pray a blessing on everyone, for everyone, listening in and even here. Lord, may our faith arise. And may we do all that we are supposed to do by faith. And may it bring you glory. And may it bring you joy. 
And we love you. Thank you, Lord. Will you enable us? Will you lead us? Strengthen us, Lord, for the way ahead by faith. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.